Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of I'm Thinking About Spoiling Things, starring your key spoilers, myself, Stephen, and me, Vaughn. And this week we are going to be spoiling The French Dispatch, Wes Anderson's latest film and another in a long line of movies that were heavily delayed by the pandemic. I mean, the gift of this episode is the director has already spoiled the movie, um, so it, it makes our conversation <laughs> about it a lot easier. That's very true. So um, I guess let's start with what are your general thoughts on Wes Anderson as a director? All right, let's, let's speak in two timelines. So we, we won't use the, um, the Eternals nomenclature because it gets it wrong. Um, we'll say there is um, before Wes Anderson, before French Dispatch and after French Dispatch. So let's, let's transport back to the before French Dispatch world for a sure. second. Okay. I, I like or love every Wes Anderson movie. I am totally with you there. I don't think there's pre-French Dispatch, there was nothing that I had an outwardly negative opinion on. There were some that no. I liked a little bit less, but I was very charmed by, I am very charmed by yeah. every pre-French Dispatch <laughs> Wes Anderson movie. This comes with a big caveat that if I were to re-watch Darjeeling Limited, I don't know what I would feel about it, but I watched that a long time ago and barely remember it. But at the time, I liked it. I agree it's definitely my least favorite, but I felt like it still had a lot of qualities that I appreciated and I was able to enjoy it for what it was, um, even though I didn't I didn't like it as much and it didn't resonate with me as much as some of his mm. other movies did. I mean, the opening scene with Bill Murray not catching the train is like top 10 Wes Anderson moments. So <laughs> it will it will always have that as a great little meta gag. Have you seen all of them? Yeah, I have seen all of them. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. And yeah, like all of them, uh, Bottle Rocket also not super hot on, but yeah. I enjoy it. I mean, it's hard to not enjoy Owen and Luke Wilson just having a ball. There's some really <laughs> funny stuff in that movie. Yeah. And it's got, I quite like some of his earlier movies where they there is a, a bit more of a scrappiness. They're not polished to a sheen yet, right. but he is still attempting a style in a, in a lowered aesthetic and lower like price bracket. So I, I, I quite like that in the first few Osanis movies, whereas now we're in pristine perfection um, right. cinematically the whole way through. And I know you're a huge fan of Rushmore, which is probably the best example mm. of still a little bit unpolished, but still very much that style that he was looking for. I I love Rushmore, and uh, my hypothetical career in teaching has only increased my love of Rushmore because of the <laughs> the amount of things that movie gets right, obviously hyperbolically and exaggeratedly, right? But specifically about high school drama, the things it gets correct about what high school <laughs> drama students are like and the kind of plays they want you to put on is I cannot speak to that thing because I would get in trouble. Um, but uh, I have recommended that film to colleagues several times. They've been like, yes, I see what you recommended this to me. And it uh, yeah. always goes down well. Rushmore's film. great. Worth saving um, Latin for. And I know that there is generally kind of a split on if people ended up falling in line with his kind of increased mm. style and like that or have sort of fallen off and decided that it was overbearing and too much um i definitely love it i love grand budapest hotel I, yes it's one of my favorite of his and one of my favorite movies um mm. rewatched it yesterday re-solidified my love for it just fantastic movie i don't know how you feel about that sort of um continued overabundance of style in his movies um I think, well, I guess my, my view changed it because of the French Dispatch, because I, I, I'd never seen it in a way that I felt it was incongruous to the film. Um, so I felt that because um, Grand Budapest, so much of the film is about a hotel that is supposed to be nostalgic perfection, and then you've got the right. patisserie, which is supposed to be perfection of it. it. 
it took place in like a toy town world that was very much clearly an allegory for um, pre-war Europe right. um, and very nicely done. The aesthetic, then the falsity came from that worked so well because of like the, the allegorical nature of the tale. So everything is perfect and it fit the movie wonderfully. And his stop motion stuff, I just think is brilliant. I think as an animator, um, whoever he has working for him, obviously, right. a terrific animators, especially Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is just... Yeah, really, really astonishing. wonderful movie. Astonishing film. Yeah, I think those so are both fantastic, both of his animated features. So Budapest is your favorite then? Yes, I think so. Yeah. And you rewatched it recently. I did rewatch like, it recently. A couple of days ago recently. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think rewatching it really sort of solidified both my appreciation for Grand Budapest and my problems with the French Dispatch. And I guess this is a kind of a good segue mm. into that um because the grand budapest has this very specific and well executed structure where it starts out very wide and then keeps narrowing down and going back into the past and it's very easy to follow and it all makes sense and his choices to change the aspect ratio and change the the color saturation and stuff like that they all they all fit within the narrative of the film and i think it helps serve sort of the way that it in addition to, like you said, it's sort of allegory for pre-war Europe, it also serves its, the way that it kind of appreciates writing and the way that writing is passed down through generations and stuff. I think that it all adds up really well mm. and, it, and it, it's executed so well. But then the French Dispatch, in comparison, I think, tries to do all of those similar things and does them very poorly. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. And that's, I think it's because... I don't know if it's trying to do them for reasons is my problem in the French right. dispatch of it does the aesthetic things that we know Wes Anderson can do and that he's been working on over the time and has been more and more in his films, but it does them without anything to latch onto. Um, I mean, with the caveat of, I know people who have watched this film and found things to resonate with in it. And that's great. And I, and I, lo I love that. It's good that we love movies. However, this film just left me so cold and so distanced and really, I don't know, like empty at the end of it, completely empty. Like I, there was a, cause I saw it before and I knew we'd seen it. Um, as I've said before, and I was sat there for the first like half an hour being like, okay. Um, and then for the next like hour and a quarter, it's been like, I don't like this. Yeah, at a certain point, and, and I liked how it started, and then it just kind of, as it kept going and going, my eyes kind of started to glaze over, and I was like, I don't even really know what I'm watching anymore. It just kind mm. of totally lost me in all of the, so much that it had going on, which is way too much. <laughs> so there's the framing device. Okay, so there's, there's, there's the wide framing device, which is, it's an adaptation of a New Yorker-style editorial magazine, which is kind of cool, like that as an idea for a a frame right. for a collection of short films is interesting because there are some of these short film collections that are just like short film, short film, short film. So it's got like a, a creep show wrapper to it. It's, it's like Wes right. Anderson's creep show. Put that on the poster. <laughs> so rather than just being like, that'll sell it. You know, well, I mean, because I don't know if you've seen creep show, but creep show like models itself as a horror comic. And then each of the okay. short films in it, um, which is um, George Romero and Stephen King. Um, it's a lovely pair up. So each of the short films in it is supposed to be like a, one of the comics in it. Okay. Um, and that works really not. I'm not saying Creep Show is great. It's not great, but it's a cool movie. So this is the same idea. This is the Creep Show structure, of but it personifies the magazine as well. It's the story of the magazine. So it's not just a dramatization of a book. It's a dramatization of 
the people writing the book, the editors, the editorial process. So he's taking steps back, right. steps back, step back, and becomes very, very thin. So on the outside, you've got Bill Murray is the editor because it's Bill Murray. It's a Wes Anderson film of The French Dispatch, which is a magazine for people in Kansas. Yes, I believe so. It's the Kansas... Ooh, I can't remember what the, what the actual yeah. newspaper was, but it yeah. some, something something to do with Kansas, the Kansas Morning Sun, or something like that, maybe. Yeah, so it's it's a magazine for people in Kansas, written from Ennui sur Blanche, um, which is a fictional town in France. Right. Of course, it is because it's got Ennui in it. Get it? That's a joke. <laughs> That's one of our first jokes. Um, but and it's stories about the area, kind of. Yeah, I think the. I like the idea of having that larger narrative framing device and sort of having the paper as mm. the, the way to tell these stories. But I think that's where it immediately starts to lose me is mm. that you have this. And then, like you said, it personifies it and you have all these characters that are writing the stories that you're supposed to care about. And then it tells each story and you're supposed to care about each character in each story. And there's not enough time to make you actually care about any of it. And so it's just kind of like, and then it gets to the end and it's like, and here's this, resounding statement about what happens to the newspaper and i'm like i haven't you haven't given me enough to care i don't care about bill murray's character at all no know? in fact i kind of dislike him because it, it doesn't seem to be aware that he's like he's horrible to his staff like in, in yeah, this definitely. like very very horrendous like ceo manner of people that he think are above a certain grade he deifies and anyone below that he's just abhorrent to and that that's played as a joke like a little gag being like oh, if they're not right doesn't care i'm like the, the classism of that is just right horrible. it's it's a joke but it's really not funny because he's just a dick and i'm like that, yeah. that's not really there's nothing to that you know it's not paid off in any way it's not like he ever gets anything for being a dick which which is interesting to me because the film follows his logic because the film only cares about the writers um so it's the joke is not even presented as a joke at the character. Right. It's presented as the ways of things, and the film follows that logic. Um, I, I mentioned in my review, which you can read on the website, thefilmgeeks.com, um, that there is something about the framing device that in theory I really like, because this is Wes Anderson's ode to French cinema. Like He, he posted a long list of all the films that influenced it, He's obviously Jacques Tati being his like key aesthetic influence over so many of his films. And there is an early scene, which is a really beautiful Jacques Tati homage, which is, was done really nicely, um, but not as purposefully as in the Tati film, obviously. But this idea of a, because he's, he's from the Southern States of America, isn't he? I think he's from Texas. Yeah. So this idea of how the fiction of the film matches the person of a French inspired tales being taken to America in right. the same way this film is an American's view of idealized cinematic France and by right. placing it into a fake town is that idea so like that seemed to really work for me that it's it's fake cinema France it's fake cinema France through the lens of America given to the stage and like that's kind of clever but there's nothing to attach that to in the film because right. the stories have no resonance it's not a collection of pastiches it's 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 got lots of like reference points but they're just stories that just exist for the sake of it and i don't think they're very good stories which is my fundamental issue the short films are not good right it's a collection of things that i i can look at and say i like this idea or i like the, mm. the thought of this and then it doesn't ever coalesce into something that i actually care about or really want to revisit you know it starts off and i actually i liked the the opening segment with owen wilson i thought that was 
nice and charming and I felt like it was very Wes Anderson in in an interesting way but I quite liked it there was a couple of visual gags in it that I really enjoyed the bicycle going behind the car right. and like coming out as a bicycle was very very good like so yeah so the, the scene where our first article is um Owen Wilson who is the the cycling writer and it, it this it sounds like it makes sense at this point because the first short film is a tour around the town and you're right. like ah structure that makes sense but the details given in this first short film don't ripple out and address the film it would make so much more sense if this was an overview that then the other ones rely exactly. on but they're not it's just a random bit part and i do agree with you that i, I keep reading reviews people say the free the free films there are four and actually the first one might be the best one yeah um, i think i agree with that so please stop forgetting it and it's the um, shortest <laughs> and that, which is also maybe why it might be the best right. one. but even in this one was when i had the points of because hmm, it's so the prolexity of the film the overwriting of the film is just intolerable to me at a point and it's just word 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 to the extent that some of the words used i don't want to hear um and there is this really kind of like offhand um treatment of sex work in this first short film then there's this like really offhand like reference to like the tragic death toll of the town and again because it's like budapest is sort of jokes but there is an emotional core to it and you care about the place and the people i'm like am i supposed to place seriously is this place a joke right are these characters jokes what is this i don't think that's a joke that's not funny and that's not funny either is this tragic i don't know Right. Grand Budapest draws a pretty clear line between the surface level humor and the mm. undercurrent of war. And that part is actually treated very seriously. But this movie doesn't have that clear line and it kind of blurs no. it in a way that makes it like, OK, what am I supposed to be taking seriously here? And what is a joke? And it's just words, 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 because it's it's a visual assault, which a lot of his films are. This is more of that. So you've got changing aspect ratios, you've got changing color palettes, you've got black and white segments. At one point, it goes animated. Um, there's use of little stop motion bits, which there was in Budapest as well. Like that, that's fine. Um, and there's so much text on the screen. It occasionally cuts off bits of text from the side of the screen. And whilst you're watching that, there's pervasive voiceover the whole time. And like I've heard people say, you need to watch it again, to take it all in. I don't want to watch it again because i just yeah. didn't enjoy it yeah that's the thing for me is like if that i there are there are movies that i think deserve to be rewatched to be appreciated more but the movie has mm. to make me want to rewatch it and if the movie just exists and it's not good and someone tells me you have to watch it again but i have no desire to then that's not a successful film you know it it needs to actually give me a reason to want to come back to it, but there's nothing I really want to get more out of this movie. And that's, I think, the problem is I, there's no reason for me to revisit it. Yeah, I mean, my key example, and this may make me sound very pretentious, is Antonioni's Blow Up, which I, I, I watched. And I sat there at the end, I was like, I don't get the love of this movie. Like, this movie is fine. And I was like, but everyone seems to love it. And I was left at the end being like, I'm not quite sure about how these things fit together. Mm -hmm. and it wasn't a movie that I thought was going to be so like, you know, I, I should give this another run through. And that other run through, I was like, this is a master. Oh, I know what's going on, blah, blah, blah. Right. That's because that film left me with like a, there was something that I wasn't latching onto. Whereas this film, I never felt like I didn't get it. I never felt like it was going over my head or I needed to recontextualize a bit. And I was just like, I just don't enjoy this. This yeah, is not fun to me. Exactly. I just, I just didn't care. I just left and I was like, yeah, I just, that was the first time that I didn't enjoy a Wes Anderson movie mm. and I don't want to go back to it, you know? 
I, I think, um, you know, if you want to move on to sort of the rest of the the short stories. Yeah, um, I think it's worthwhile because I have separate complaints about all of them, which is actually quite impressive. I have like a different <laughs> complaint of each yeah. one. So the second one was Tilda Swinton telling the story of Benicio del Toro, who was a mm, an artist French in a prison. And I don't really know. Like, again, it has, there's tiny aspects to it that I appreciated but the larger piece, I just could not connect to at all. And I'm not sure what exactly it was going for, you know? My problem is my pervasive takeaway was this is old dudes, like modern art's pretty weird. Huh? And I'm so bored of that. It was just like so many jokes that just been like, what even is this? Look at all this splatter. Is that even art? It's just like this 20 years ago, Right. People making these kind of comments about modern and contemporary art and it just seems like old out of touch person being like look at art art's crazy people pay money for this that's just splatter yeah it doesn't feel Ugh. as novel as it wants to be you know it's it's you're right it's all these ideas like that's kind of like this joke about contemporary art and how you it's a, it's changing the landscape you know but it's there's nothing there's no point that's actually being made because it's such an old point to be making you know it's like i i don't this, does this problem exist for anyone anymore? I, I know. And like this, it, it ends in this really technically beautiful tableau scene where the camera is like panning across. But again, this is this goes back to the, the first short film where it presents things as their jokes. And I'm like, but that's not a joke. Um, because again, I don't know the reality of the world because it takes it very seriously and points in this. Like it wants to care about this character and their mental state and their relationship. And it does present it with some sincerity. At the end, it's talking about how, like, there's a death toll of this, like, um, riot in a prison. And it's, like, popping through and just telling you about how several people died and were crushed as we're panning comedically across as it's framed, like, classical, like, portraits. Right. And it's just like, this is rough. I don't, yeah. I do not like there's also there's also a, they try to make a joke out of the electric chair that's just seems yes. totally it's all just like so many of the jokes just seem totally tasteless and I'm like what is the, what is what are you trying to do here? They keep cutting back to Tilda Swinton and I think her part her part's the main like joke of like woman talks about art thing. It's just yeah, so I like did not COVID, like her like, character. Highly strung, it's this highly strong female academic kind of thing right. that seems very coded towards. So I, I'm bringing Jennifer reason. It seems very coded to specific stereotypes about academia um and there's a part way through that where she makes a i will say it lightly but she makes a joking reference to a sexual assault that happens to her that's yeah. like why is this line in the film yeah absolutely i thought the exact same thing i was like what that did not need to be there at all it's so yeah. casual and again it's presented like a joke but it's not funny and i'm like what what do you want from me here I'm not I'm not gonna laugh at that. <laughs> and and it also like conveniently frames like the murders that got this man into jail. And then but it also makes it clear they are brutal. And there is there is one joke where I titted towards the end where he claimed that he like decapitated someone in self-defense. And I was like, that is <laughs> right. That is that is kind of funny. But that's funny in a different movie where it's not like I care about this man's pain and through his pain comes his art. Right. And like Leah Sadu's gonna be naked for a bit because there you go yeah it's just it doesn't it's not none of it's in service of anything it, mm. it there's there's a very small point that it tries to make and it kind of makes it but i'm like i don't think that it was it's not 
resonant enough to make me care about the, the story yeah. as a whole. You know, it's such a basic surface level point to be making. And again, it's dissonance from the first thing because like this is different time period taken. And like, yes, it's supposed to be dissonant articles or disparate, not dissonant, disparate articles in a magazine. And I guess the cohesive tone is overly written and annoying. Like that seems to right. be <laughs> the thing that like links together. Like, yeah, okay, this magazine has a tone and I hate it. Yeah, I, yeah, it seems it's because I, mean, I like, again, I like the idea of the framing device of sort mm. of taking you through the features. You know, it's like, okay, we've got page one through five or whatever. This is the travel section and you get Owen Wilson's and then you get page whatever to whatever. It's the art section. And now we talk about this. And again, the idea of that is nice if the stories were not were actually enjoyable to be watching. And I would also think I would like it if it was actually about writing and the writing process. Right. If that was the connecting theme of like, how does how does this moment become a story? And it touches towards that in the last one, but it does that so badly because it doesn't yeah. really care. That's a problem. And I mentioned this in my review as well. Like in the end, like I, I, the word ephemera keeps going to my head this film of it's all just ancillary stuff that Wes Anderson cares about. And he cares about right. that so much more than anything else. And in the end, what I thought was this like ode to writers and writing and process, because it ends with a long list mm -hmm. of the people that it, it have been influenced by. But this is an editor's film. This is a film about like a magazine as an aesthetic object, the beauty of the magazine, not the words within it. Like, right. I would much prefer a scrappy magazine with great stories and great personality. But this is just like, the art overtakes the content and that becomes so clear that that is the only thing that Anderson cares about and that just pushes me out of the film so hard yeah it's definitely clear that it it has these there's such these tiny moments that it's like okay I see what you're going for you know at the very beginning mm. when Owen Wilson's story first started and it was just kind of him sort of speaking in this writing style I liked that in a way you know I was like okay I can see what you're going for here I like this sort of ode to writing and then it just totally loses track and only picks it up sort of sporadically in between things and I'm like I don't think this is really accomplishing what you want it to accomplish as far as this ode to writing and then it tries to pick it up at the very end before then going back to Bill Murray the editor who is a dick and it's like yeah okay. and he's dead and you're like okay right. I don't know him <laughs> Exactly. It, it's, it tries to have this really emotional ending. And I'm like, I, there's I like, two scenes with this character. I don't care. Also, it's just, yeah, it's like the end of um, Rodan. Um, but like, <laughs> it's, what a comparison. There you go. Um, but it's also like this magazine is failing for obvious reasons because it's terribly run. Like he's right. overpaying. I mean, you know me, I like pay writers, damn it. But like he keeps just like, throwing expenses at everything he is just like run whatever i don't care about audience i'm like you show me a man that cares nothing about audience um lavishly spends doesn't care about the workers that make the magazine happens and then you were sad that this magazine died i'm like well yeah right there's even a bit at the beginning where he's it's like introducing all of the writers that work for the french dispatch and it talks about one person who had never written anything but he just liked them as a writer and was paying them and i was like i, I like that i like that joke that was a joke that i enjoyed because he was back there at the end that's what i did like um but if you want to let's move on to our third story which is probably my least favorite although i would say okay. you probably like the, the yeah. fourth one the least for me they got worse which is why the film and also i think because i was getting more angry with the film as i went along yeah so agreed like my impression of the film made them worse as well if I, maybe if they're in a different order um, i'd feel differently but to me they get they get worse 
um yeah so then the the third story we've got i can't even remember who oh that's right it's um why am i blanking on the uh, francis mcdormand yeah writing um about this youth uprising in the town um which, centered around timothy chalamet and it's, which starts about like using bathrooms or something it starts really like prosaic you're like what I, yeah like, the framing like, device is so weird it's like the boys wanted to be able to go into the girl's bathroom or something like that which, I, unless i'm misremembering context. it doesn't I, seem well, I, like... I remembered the same thing so okay. it definitely it de- maybe we're both wrong but it implies that to a viewer, apparently, because we both have that takeaway. So yeah, this is so clearly inspired by not only an actual thing that happened in French history, which look up, people, um, and more resonantly with me. I mean, my, my parents live in France, but they are, you know, they're naturalized, like they were not born there. My dad is a French mm-hmm. citizen, but um, only because he applied for French citizenship. Um, but the thing that resonates more with me is it is an ode to the French cinema that I love. This is the political french new wave section mostly in black and white um it has like the filmic syntax of truffaut of truffaut's um antoine donnell movies um with some of the politicism of goddard or um jacques rivette like it it definitely pushes towards an out one um but is very much wanting to be um an existentialist goddard political movie which i'm like i love all these things um this should be for me right but no uh not at all yeah i'm not i'm really not sure especially with the way that we both at least perceived it to be starting i'm not really sure again with all of them i'm not really sure what they're the point they're trying to get across you know with this one and it again it has things that i like i like parts of timothy chalamet's character and then it just gets worse and worse until i'm like okay i give up you know that new muscles line is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right, right next to Dune. <laughs> that, that's very, very funny. I, I enjoyed that immensely. Um, and it's annoying because like everyone is, is directed very, very well, but they're all directed as marionettes. Like they are the little like toys within the film that make the film go. Um, so it's hard to really attach to a performance. But this section, I mean, it did really annoy me of the sense of it takes actual revolutionary politics from like youth rebellion. It waters it down into purposeful nonsense. It right. makes it seem affected and silly, um, pushing towards all kinds of things about the cafe. It, it brings in um, like a character who dies by, um, you know, apologies to mention, but a character that dies by suicide. And it kind of like right. just chucks that in in a very artful scene that's very beautiful to watch, but don't know what it's doing there. And I think that's that's probably the point where I just kind of threw my hands up and I was like, I give up with this movie because that was a scene within a scene within a scene within the movie within the framing device and i was just like i was so exhausted (laughs) you know it just keeps going down and down and down right and it's like with grand budapest you have one movie that keeps narrowing down it's simple enough to follow but when you have a framing device with four different stories in it and then you have a smaller story which then has a flashback which then has a play that's being performed within the flashback within the story it's like okay and i just I was like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I was like, this is too much. It's just, you've, you've finally Which, overdone it for me, Wes. And I feel you could do that. Like, I feel like there are parts where um, Sinetsky New York gets towards that, but that's because the whole point is disorientation is the point. And this is not a film that that wants you to be disorientated. It wants you to be watching and admiring. Because um, we both saw last night um, in Soho, didn't we? Yes. Um, which which you liked more than I did, but neither of us are huge fans of. 
And my point with that film is that film is so indebted to Suspiria, the original Suspiria. Mm -hmm. And Suspiria is directed impressionistically and has this woozy feel to it that paves over the narrative issues because the film feels disconnected. The film feels dreamlike. But um, Last Night in Soho, like Edgar Wright is a very tactile, precise director. Like Mm -hmm. he cribs from Sam Raimi and like that style does not fit that intent. And the same is true in French Dispatch. If this was like a woozy, disorienting, if the last act of the movie was like the end of, um, I'm blanking on the name, um, oh, the Peter Strickland movie, um, Barbarian Sound Studio. If it like burst oh, okay. into like that kind of like madness at the end, that would work. But this film wants to be the precise plaything. But right. right is also completely incomprehensible structurally. And this is where like it almost seems like it missed something because this seems like the perfect opportunity to if you're going to have this much just chaos going on within the story, mm. why not then pull out to the French dispatch and have the editor be like, this is incomprehensible. You have way yes. too much going on, but it doesn't do that. It's just like you should understand all this. And it's like, I, I don't care enough to understand all this. This this needs to be edited to be more coherent. And it's just, it's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not only an ode to editors, it's an ode to indulgent right. editors, um, which, is, which is a problem. But yet this story, I mean, I know that we have, because we've talked previously, there are specific bits in this that I know really annoy both of us. So I'll let you take the lead on why you really dislike this segment. I mean, I think for both of us, probably the biggest sticking point for this is the completely unnecessary relationship between Timothy Chalamet and Francis McDormand, which is just... Yes bizarre to say the least because even though as i think you specified in your review timothy chalamet is of course in his 20s yes the the movie makes it very specific that he is in high school yeah and then he forms a relationship with francis mcdormand (laughs) and it's so weird you know, there's this the is movie welcome doesn't... to the part of the podcast where I ask never a question. Uh, sorry, more than a question. I think I know the <laughs> answer, um, which is: Have you seen Last House on the Left? I have not. Yeah, I mean, don't. It's not very good. But there's a <laughs> there's a party scene at the beginning of Last House on the Left, which is again, the actor is not this age, but the film starts with a 17th birthday party, and I'm like, film, I know why you're doing this, and I hate right. you. Like films that go out of their way to show you the audience this character is underage this character is a child is legally and morally a child and then that wants to include not any not any like romantic arcs fine like children have romantic lives that that's fine between children but to have a sexualized and romanticized storyline right it's just gross and i didn't even really think about this until now but it's to even further the point of like Wes Anderson kind of misunderstanding his own past, the way, the reasons his own past films worked, it's basically yeah. Rushmore without any of the actual cutting into it and saying, this is not the right thing to do. You know, in Rushmore, it's like, yeah, he's in love with his teacher and the teacher specifically says, no, this is completely inappropriate. You can't be doing this. And in this movie, it's like, yeah, that's fine. They're just doing that. And that's, you know, he's just growing up. He's learning things. And it's like, no, that's <sighs> not right. You know. And it kind of like all boils down to because France, you know, like it has this very stereotypical, very like bigoted view of being like, you know what the French are like, they're, you know, right. they're just, and it's just like, it relies on beyond cinematic stereotypes that are just gross. And the zenith of this for me is like, obviously the relationship that is there. And like, it goes out of its way to make it clear that these characters have a sexual relationship. Um, like yes. there are a few lines that deliberately say that. And then the film builds up to a scene that actually reminded me a bit of um, 
the Obiashi film, is it Her Bike, His Island? I forget the name of the movie. Um, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Um, because like, just because it is a beautiful looking film, is the the bikes going round on the roads, and then it ends with a romance scene between two characters that are framed as children that has nudity in it. That is, the camera is positioned just to get nudity into the scene, and it's like, why? Right. It's it's definitely like you have to have a reason for these things. You have to be able to explain why you've coded it in this specific way and the movie doesn't justify there's not really any reason for them to be high schoolers you know you can have a youthful rebellion without them being 17 they could be in Mm. college they could you know it doesn't need to be that way but it goes out of its way to specify that they are that age and it's just so unnecessary yeah and then it just boils down to the most like centrist nonsense of just like her being like so Francis McDormand is like I think you should all listen to each other and you realize that when you get a bit older you know more about the world I'm a writer and it's just like Wes Anderson just does not care about politics in this way so don't make a movie about revolutionary politics inspired by your revolutionary filmmakers that you love like they they weren't Goddard is a very aesthetic filmmaker Mm -hmm. but I mean, I, I have my issues with Goddard of how he articulates his politics, but the man believes his politics, like, to right. a fault. Um, Definitely Anderson, to like, a fault. This is, this, is, this, is not a, this is not a political segment. This is, what if Marxism was an aesthetic? And it's like, no. Right, like, it all has to be in service of something. You know, you think about, like, Goddard, it's like, there's a lot of chaos, and it's sometimes it's kind of a chaotic mess, but at the end of it, you're like, I understand exactly what you were going for, and you're making a very defined mm. statement. So it's like if you if you're gonna have this messy, chaotic sequence, it has to make a defined statement, and it doesn't. There's not any of that. It just kind of throws a bunch of things at you, and then it says, "Okay, on to the next one." And it, it links back to what you said about the the unwillingness to take that lens out, because like Goddard's cinema is specifically Brechtian, and like Brechtian is so from the the theater of Bertolt Brecht, the idea of trying to to break the first the fourth wall and to confront the viewer. They must know that what their work, what they're watching, is a fiction, mm-hmm. because fiction should not be mollifying. Fiction, Brecht believes, should deal with real issues, and therefore we cannot retreat to the the fortress of fiction we can't feel safe there and goddard goes out of his way to be like this is a film you're watching a film stop watching a film politics film right but this uses like brechtian aesthetics but to make it more artificial and make it more fictive it's layers and layers of fiction and artificiality all the way down as opposed to confronting the viewer with their relationship with the filmed object right it's so like it's 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 like an ode to all of this stuff but he doesn't really understand why all of that mm. stuff worked in the first place So it just ends up being like, right, like you said, like he's just using this aesthetic, but the aesthetic doesn't actually do anything. And that's kind of the the biggest bummer. Yeah, and then you it, it builds up to the awkward Truffaut style romance, but it's like the awkward romance of the Truffaut movies, like they know what they're doing. They're really wonderfully done. They're very carefully done about like these like, awkward kind of like young adults who think they are adults that's so well right. captured over the course of a movie with like characters that we know and the dynamics around them with a clear kind of like moralistic and intentional lens this like a 20 minute section i don't, I don't know what it's playing at it's just crap yeah i'm I was, I was glad when it was over and then i was less glad because then it gets to the final short story which you have more specific and mm. very justified problems with but i also did not enjoy it as a whole um, so I'll let yeah. you kind of take the lead on on why you had a, such a strong distaste for that final segment. 
it's, it's annoying actually because like I think as a story I think this is the best story in the film I think because it's 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 as you could presumably you've watched it if you're listening but there's this it's a caper of person gets in over their head crime boss stuff and the idea of you attend one meal and then it turns into a massive shootout and like a huge like procedure mm-hmm. and then an, an accidental massacre I mean that story is it sounds weird to say fun but it's a fun ripping yarn that that is quite promising right and I agree I like again I like the idea of it I like mm. what it's trying to do it just doesn't stick to landing but then we have this second framing device within a framing device which is usually it's the writers talking about their writing. Well, the Tullus Winton one is her giving a lecture, which is even right. stranger. So here we have um, Jeffrey Wright, isn't it? Um, so Jeffrey yeah. Wright is um, sat on a talk show talking to the host. And the way it's framed is so purposeful. So um, it's a James Baldwin sequence. And it even has a um, dedication to James Baldwin after it um, as the first name among others of who the whole film is dedicated to. And Jeffrey Wright is doing a very clear not quite impersonation, but a performance that wants to capture specifically like the cadence or the style of speech that Baldwin right. does. And Baldwin obviously is, is a celebrated, not is, for disclosure, I think Baldwin is one of the most important figures of, of history. He's like a, a real icon to me, one of my favorite writers and thinkers. He's just amazing. And I've, I've read so much and watched so much of, of his stuff, but he was very famous for these talk show appearances. That if you've seen the Ralph Peck movie, I'm Not Your Negro, it uses those as the um, the meat of the documentary. So this visual language is supposed to go, this is James Baldwin, speaking as right. he does in this deconstructive way. And all it uses that for is for him to, on this talk show, just recite an article that's not right. to do with the talk show for no reason. Not being... I'm unfortunately not super familiar with James Baldwin as a writer, and I certainly should be, become more familiar, but is that a thing where he can perfectly recite anything he's written or did that, was that just something that was invented I, by Wes Anderson? That's nothing that I'm familiar with. So obviously this character is, is not James Baldwin, but right. like it is, it is, it is, it is an homage to, and it, it uses specific points. There's a bit that I'm not going to quote because it's, it's racist um, where he talks about, because James Baldwin is a multifaceted writer who wrote a lot about race um and i mean it's so obviously james baldwin because james baldwin also left america to to move to france um lived in paris because he was so upset by the state of america this country that that lost him um and his relationship is kind of like paired in this film they talk about that later a very forced moment that we'll get to but there's this bit where he talks about the things that he writes about and he mentions the things they're very bored with things to write about but they're written in a way that makes them jokes there's a specific line right. that if you've seen the movie, you'll know. He says, you've written about the American blah. And he goes, yes, and the anti-blah. And that isn't a thing. That doesn't make sense. That's not a thing that person would say. And it's making a mockery of the important writing that Bull did about race and social justice. And it's using his language and like his phrasing. Is that, That's a more annoying thing to me. It uses the cadence of Baldwin. It uses how beautifully eloquent he is. And a couple of points, it betrays that because it makes him say two things that are just camp stereotype in a way that Baldwin would not say that. So he says that like a distaste for bad penmanship is the curse of the male homosexual. I'm like, that's not a thing James Baldwin would say. And then another point, he just says, of course, you silly goose. That's not a thing that James Baldwin would say. Now, I'm not, this is not me saying that, this is not an anti-camp statement, obviously not, but this is, to speak carefully, 
those things seem to be there because those things connote gay. And they're making right. him say that because James Baldwin is a homosexual writer, but he is not a, a stereotype. Like, he is not... Right. The, and I'm trying to be very careful my wording here. That is not him. He would not say those things. And those are there based on one facet of him and used to define him in a way that is insulting, deeply insulting to him, his family, and those like myself who have a great love for this writer. Right. And if you're going to take someone and even though it is specifically not directly him, if you're going to be that inspired by him, you have to be careful with the way you're writing around it. Yeah. And like you said, like it all just feels like a joke and it's not really funny. Like even for someone like me who is not intimately familiar with him as a writer, watching it, all of those jokes, I was just like, I, what is this? Especially like you said, the, the I've written about this and the anti this. And I was just like, that doesn't make any sense and isn't, what is the point of even writing that into the movie? You know, it's just bad and, you know, if anything, offensive and just unnecessary. And it it builds towards this scene. So it's all about this, like, cook. And it builds towards this very, very forced scene, um, which reflects the movie it could have been, where he says there's one bit that I missed out of the um, article, which is a conversation I had with, what's the, what was the chef's name? The chef's name was actually quite funny. I could not tell you from memory. I can't remember. The, the, chef, the chef had a funny name. It was a good gag. Um, but Not funny enough to remember, though. Not funny to remember. It's been a while, you know. That's no shade in the film. The, the guy did have a good name. Um, and he says that he talked to him and at this moment, out of nowhere, about how the chef said that he willingly endured poison, thinking he would die because he wanted to fit in because he feels like an outsider in this society. I'm like, you are bringing in a social dynamic to this film that does not exist anywhere else in this film, and you're only right. bringing it in because the framing of Baldwin as a writer. And again, how dare you? And if you're Wes Anderson, and you've had so much justified criticism for how you treat people of colour and acts of colour in your film, specifically non-white actors in your film, to pigeonhole this section and then you have these characters who again are defining the film by their non-whiteness and then have the film allude to we don't fit in oh right it's all like it doesn't and it seems like what he wants to be doing is talking about everyone that is working at the french dispatch as a whole like they've all kind of come together in this place to get something different out of life but it doesn't feel like that like that's what it wants to say but that's not how it's presented at all because of the characters that are having that conversation i think that just it's just it ends up just feeling so bizarre and it's like you're trying to make this seemingly poignant statement at the end here but it doesn't end up feeling like that in any way whatsoever and it isn't earned at all because you haven't paid into it well enough Fundamentally, James Bourne isn't a food writer. Why? Like, why? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and as always, there's tiny aspects of the, that sequence that I like. And it, although I will say it has this whole animated segment, which didn't like that at all. I didn't like it either. I felt like it was totally out of place in this very, I mean, it seems like it should be, again, it's like it should be a very serious story. You know, it's about a kid gets kidnapped and there's like yeah. this whole warfare thing and there's people getting shot and all this, but it's, then it gets animated and it's like, Ooh, you know, fun little chase scene. And it's like, where's the, you know, you have to have some sort of tonal consistency and it's just the animation does not fit in with what they set up at all. 
It also annoys me because I mean, like, I'm I'm a big French New Wave fan, and like Jean-Pierre Melville is is one of the top for me. Though I'm not a big, a huge fan of Le Samurai. It's his wider work that that I'm more appealed to. And Army of Shadows is is one of my favorite films, and is his his best film, I would say. Um, and there are moments in this that clearly like allude visually to it, and like it takes like the brutality, the cold brutality of that film. And it presents it as quaint. There's this montage of right. quaint police brutality because it's a Wes Anderson movie. So it's all a little bit art. It's all a bit quaint. It's all fancy. And it's horrible police brutality. Yeah, there's, it's like I said, there's no consistency to it. It just kind of throws things in. It's like, yeah, okay, I want to do this, but he can't leave the style that he set up for the movie. No. So it's all just presented. Like you said, it's very quaint and quirky. But what you're showing me is not quaint and quirky at all, and you're not making a point of distinction, so it just feels weird and wrong and not good. It's such a, a weird and interesting divergence from that kind of like closing sequence of Grand Budapest, where it does take that moment out to go, no, this was the serious thing right. this film is about the whole time, and it leaves you, the audience, with that. That was really fun. But I guess it actually wasn't because right. it's, it's the fun. It's the fun we make to cover up the bad times. And because that film is about nostalgia, it ends up with a moment about, oh, yeah, no, we do manufacture nostalgia to to pave over the pain. And that's what I think about. Whereas this film is about nothing. Right. Nothing at all. And I think that's, again, served by Grand Budapest being one large arc and large narrative that mm. then at the end you're like, OK, here's this genuine tragedy that sort of underwrites the film and... I've also spent the whole movie with these characters and I genuinely care for them as opposed to this movie where you get these tiny segments and it wants to say, and here, look at this tragedy, but I don't care about the characters because I've spent a collective five minutes with each of them and there's nothing that's actually paid into me caring about them, especially the very end where it then kills off Bill Murray and I go, I don't know anything about this character <laughs> aside from he's a dick to some of his employees. <laughs> You're like, it's Bill Murray. It's a Wes Anderson movie. I never right. noticed that. That's why it's that. It's Bill Murray. Hi, Bill Murray. I was also thrown off at the very end in that final sequence in the, the French Dispatch because it throws in a bunch of Wes Anderson people that are always in his movies, but they have like one line. And I'm like, oh, I mm. didn't even like, I think Jason Schwartzman specifically has like one line at the very end. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't even know you were in this movie and it doesn't really matter that you are. Which is interesting because that's like it's because we made a similar point in Dune, really, of like we liked that it had so many like throwaway performances from from great from what well, known right. people. I mean, great, great's different, and it's that sense of it's what you do with that because like it doesn't contribute to anything. It's right. just like uh, here's the thing. Right, it's an ensemble movie, but I don't care about any of the ensemble because they're not. No, and it seems like some of them are doing different things. You know, in Dune, they all seem to understand what they're what they're paying into and in this movie it's like some people have different ideas of what they're acting inside and what they're doing and different yeah. tones and it's just it's a no one's really on the same page and the result is pretty pretty clear to me although i will <laughs> i will grant that we seem to be on the minority and as far as this movie goes yeah we are but like it's definitely i mean even those that love it i like the thing is i understand why people do not like this <laughs> um, so there there is there is an understanding on each end right. here of being like, I, as I start with my review, like there is that, there's that easy Wes Anderson point where it's just like, if you like his films, you'll like this. And I want to make it at the beginning, no, like 
I really, really like his films. There was a point right. where he was one of my favorite filmmakers. The only thing that changed is I've watched more filmmakers more, so my, right. my tastes have, have broadened. Like, my love for him has not lessened. I just love more things. And I love what he does. But this, people keep saying it's the most Wes Anderson, but it's the most of one aspect of Wes Anderson. I think Wes Anderson's very good at finding real emotion in artificiality. I think Moonrise Kingdom is such a perfect example of that, of, the beauty it finds in the gulf between childhood and adulthood. It's such a wonderful film about something. And there's always this lovely melancholy. The, my favorite one's Anderson film is The Light Aquatic. And I went back to watch half an hour of it, um, and then I had to go to bed, um, after watching this movie, to see if I still loved it. And it's got some, some slurs that were all suck in it, um, but it's still such a wonderful, heartfelt, touching film with characters that are fleshed out and that mean something. Right. And, that's this isn't the most was anderson this is one aspect right becomes the film i think that's just the fundamental problem with deciding this is going to be sort of an anthology piece where i tell a bunch of different stories and it just fundamentally that doesn't work with what makes his movies good because all of his movies like you said they're very emotionally resonant and you can connect to all the characters because you care about them and because they're presented mm. in a very sympathetic way but this movie you're not given any time with them and there's no way to no. actually flesh any of them out so i'm just left feeling empty like i don't who am i supposed to connect to in this movie and it's the answer is nobody because there's nobody to connect to you know there's individual like okay i kind of like that character but there's no arc to any of them that i'm that i can leave going yeah that really resonated with me because none of them really have an arc that i can look at and relate to mm. Yeah, it, it, it sucks. Um, it, it really annoys me. It, I think, I mean, your wife put it best, but let, I'll let you quote your own wife. But um, her, her review on Letterboxd, which obviously I will not buzz market um, her thing here, but I'm sure you, like fake James Baldwin in the movie, can recite off by heart all of your wife's words. So I'm sure off by heart you could recite her entire review. I'll let you go. Yes, the two of us are not cannot get this beautifully concise but she got it down to just one word which was mm. rubbish and i couldn't agree more <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just nailed it like it's just it's just i love the dismissive it's just rubbish like it's just yeah. the disappointment like it's just it's not even trash it's rubbish it's yeah. just just like i don't care i just i wish i did but i really don't you know i and it's such a shame because i really did i was looking forward to this movie for so long yes and like you said in theory, if you like Wes Anderson movies, you should like all of them because they are all doing the same thing. And that was what I was going into this hoping. Yes, you and don't I left, expecting that. Right. And I left like, oh, this is this is me leaving the Wes Anderson train, apparently. You know, this is this is the stopping yeah. point for me. And you know, maybe that's okay. That's maybe. fine. He's he Right. A wide filmography that, that I love um, with some wonderful films in that I will keep coming back to and keep sharing to new people. Um, a damn shame. But um, that's all we have time for this time. Thank you for listening. As always, you can find both of our writing on thetwingeeks.com where you can find me writing pretty much everything that I just said <laughs> about the French Dispatch. So you'll see that in uh, not very condensed form, I'll be honest. Um, you can read that. Um, have you got anything interesting coming up this week onto the website that people can read of yours? Uh, yeah, we've got upcoming. I've just House of Gucci upcoming, Ridley Scott's second movie Gucci. of the year um spoiler alert not a good movie uh so oh, <laughs> you can look gosh, out for I, that review thank you for alerting me to the spoilers though on this podcast it means a lot um 
and yeah, um, by the time this is up, my review of Petite Maman um, should be up on the website, which is, spoiler alert, phenomenal. Oh, it's yes. so good. Watch the tiny mum. Watch the tiny. It's the Very mom, good movie. so tiny. <laughs> you wouldn't think the mum would be so tiny, but she is. Petite Maman. Um, and yeah, um, the other podcasts continue. If you want to have a bewildering time, listen to this Friday's episode of the Twin Geeks cast <laughs> where they gave me and Murph the keys with very little content. So it's just, God knows how long it will be cut down to because Jesus Christ is it cutting down. But if you want to have a bewildering time as we talk about Thanksgiving and whatever we feel like talking about and technically best in show with a Ghostbusters Afterlife review, but halfway in the middle, um, listen to Why that. Why not? Thanksgiving um, chaos for the whole family. Yes, exactly. Uh, the Daydream cast, um, continues um, well I say continues I'm sure it will continue at some point but you know they, they take their time but always worth the wait and um, yes there is a music a name, contest which I got the name wrong on the previous podcast and I thought I should check up what it's called I want to say it's called three letters and five mics I think it's called that it's very good I've listened to it it's great but I don't know what it's called <laughs> Well, regardless of what it's called, you can listen to Calvin and our newest editor, Kev, talk about music. Yeah. Um, they and know then you, stuff. I love it. You just released a new episode of Ranking the Monsters as well. Yes. Um, Ghidorah. Ghidorah Week. We talk about um, the first two King Ghidorah movies, um, which are real fun. Um, I also sneakily rank Clifford the Big Red Dog. <laughs> Vaughn wouldn't let me do an episode of Clifford. It's not necessary. <laughs> I just want to talk about Clifford. I've talked about it so much. I explained to my colleague all my problems with Clifford. They clearly did not care. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, find all of our wonderful projects there. Um, and um, obviously follow um, Vaughn on Letterboxd. His username is Zero Zebra. Um, that's zero of an X and Zebra that is, with a Z. That is not true. <laughs> Since the last episode, my username has changed. It is just Zebra now. Easy to remember. Very clean. Thank you, Letterboxd, for giving me that username. <laughs> I, well, I presume the other one doesn't exist then. So I guess just Absolutely doesn't anyway. exist. No reason to look and check it on. Check on it. Doesn't exist at all. Yeah. And yeah, follow me, Stevenage. Um, Stephen with a PH in the middle, not at the beginning. Um, Stevenage on Letterboxd. And elsewhere, I guess. I don't know. Follow me in general. Find me, follow me. Keep a safe distance. All right. Until next time, everybody.